The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Well, hello, everybody. I am excited to welcome you to my show, Judging Megan, with your host, Megan Judge. I have a really good show today that I'm super excited about. And does that sound obnoxious that I'm saying my show is good? It's more my guests that I'm excited about. But I always start with one of my stories. And this one is more, well, I'm always embarrassing myself. I'll admit that. But this one is really kind of embarrassing. So um, my friend Heather and I decided to do a tap class together. And it's an adult tap class, beginner adult tap class. And I was a theater major in college, which I've talked about before. And I considered myself like a pretty good dancer. I'm not going to lie. I really like, I took tap. I know the shuffle off to Buffalo and the time step and all of that stuff. So I show up for, for our first class and it's my friend Heather, myself, the teacher, and then this these two really good tappers that are also like acting teachers at the place where we're taking the class. And then like a 13 year old boy that didn't have tap shoes and a little girl that had never tapped before in her life. And I, I thought I was pretty darn good. I remembered the time step. I remembered a lot of my moves, but um, the next day when I woke up, I could barely move. <laughs> so um, I'm not, I'm not as good as a, a dancer and a tapper, if you will, as I used to be. Abraham, what do you think of that story? Are you embarrassed for uh, me? I think it's a great story. It just lets you know, you know, do it more often, you know? <laughs> well, don't worry. I am. I am. We have another class. We go every Thursday night and, um, we're making fools of ourselves. We know, because I really thought in my head, it was going to be like the movie when Harry met Sally. And I was going to be like super cute, like Meg Ryan. And meanwhile, I just, it was not cute. And if anybody ever caught it on, on camera, um, I would be really embarrassed for myself. So I'm going to start the show. Hey guys, this podcast is brought to you by Why Do We Say That?, 
It is a podcast that is hysterical. It's a father and son team, Scott and Liam Kelly. And they talk about terms like mind your P's and Q's and jump on the bandwagon. And they kind of tell you the history of why we say the things that we do, but they tell it with a really hysterical spin. And I just love their banter together. They're really funny. So you can check it out on Apple, Spotify, wherever you stream. And don't forget to listen to Why Do We Say That? Let's start the show. Okay, guys, here is my guest who I kind of brought in the beginning of the show, but I'm so excited to have him on today. His name is Abraham Scully. He is just, he's a ray of light. I know that sounds really weird, but I believe that about him. He and I met pretty, pretty randomly in this, we're, we're both on this app called Clubhouse and we connected in one of the rooms and he's pretty active on Clubhouse as well. And um, he's just, he's, a, he's an incredible person, young, has a great personality, already a published author. He just blows my mind that he is, he is who he is, not to mention the fact that he has the same goals in life that I do. We both want to break the stigma about getting help with depression and um, the stigma of what people think about mental health issues. So Abraham, welcome to my show. I'm so excited to see you. Thank you, Megan. I am as well. I can't wait to have this conversation. I'm excited to be here. Well, you know, like I consider us buddies now. So, um, so it's kind <laughs> of a cool, we've kind of developed this cool friendship. Who would have ever thought, right? Very know, different, right? very now. different lives, very different ages. But I just believe I've always thought this that people come into their into each other's lives for different reasons, and I think you were brought into my life to teach me something, and hopefully vice versa. I was lucky enough to be on your podcast, so when why don't we talk about that in the beginning, and you can tell me about your podcast? Yeah, and thanks for sharing that. I think I believe the same thing. I think uh, I was reading a quote recently, and it says when the student is ready the teacher will come and i think that applies to our lives like we are able to meet specific people in the right seasons and it just happens that way but i'm excited about it uh, my podcast is unlearn the lies and on my podcast we have honest open and transparent conversations to unlearn the lies about mental health mental illness stigma so that we can eradicate the stigma of mental health um, I've been interviewing guests. I've been having uh, these conversations just so I can bring a face to what mental health and mental illness looks like, because I think one of the biggest challenges when it comes to having these tough conversations is that we can't really relate to something like depression or anxiety or trauma. And so when we can see and hear different stories of individuals that look, you know, just like us, that come from similar backgrounds, it makes it easier to have the conversation, so. Yeah, and then you also have written and published a book as well, correct? Yeah, so my book, so the podcast was actually like a spinoff um, from the book. I got a lot of good responses and feedback from the book. It's titled Unlearn the Lies, A Guide to Reshaping the Way We Think About Depression. And so in the podcast, I kind of pull apart different chapters in my book and expound on different stories that I share, different principles that I share in the book, just to go deeper in conversation. Okay, well, you've kind of blown my mind. I don't know if nobody can see how young you are, and I hate to say you're so young. It's kind, and I don't mean that in an obnoxious way. I mean it like I'm blown away by all that you have accomplished in your life. So um, why don't we start out by kind of telling your story. I always say, let's just start hearing about who you are and your background and your story and why you got to the place where you are today. Yeah, so my story, my mental health story, 
as I like to call it, started in college. I was a freshman in college, first person in my family to graduate from high school and decide to go off to college. Um, so with that in and of itself, there were some challenges because it had never been done before. So I was kind of like, you know, creating a blueprint, figuring it out, you know, answering questions that I had for myself and realizing that there were questions that I didn't even know I, I had. <laughs> so it was interesting, but I was really excited about just going away. Um, where did you, where did you go to school and tell me? Before we yeah. go into that real quickly, tell me about, I'm so, in, that's amazing to be the first person. That's also probably a lot of pressure that you already oh, had, yeah. right? Tell me I where you the, grew up. Tell me yeah. where you grew up and a little bit about your family. Yeah, so both my parents are from Jamaica originally. So they moved to the United States in pursuit of the American dream. Uh, my dad is a born and raised entrepreneur. Like I've seen him kind of just start things from scratch and create something out of nothing my whole life. So I attribute a lot of my drive and work ethic, just being raised in that kind of environment. Um, but I was raised in Miami, Florida. So in South Florida, sunny South Florida. I'm jealous. I love Miami. Yeah. Well, you're, you're in Cali, so I mean. I know, but I, I mean, Miami seems, California's got all kinds of issues lately. Miami's <laughs> like, you know, I've only been there once, but I loved it. Yeah, so I uh, was born and raised in Miami and uh, went to school there as well. And so the interesting thing about my family is like when it came to having conversations about our feelings, uh, we only really talked about the good things. Um, there were a lot of challenges that we experienced as a family, just like any other family. Um, but it was never easy to have hard conversations. Um, what I saw a lot growing up was if we were kind of going through something, you kind of just mask it, you know, and, and hope that it would disappear. Is that, is that a cultural thing? Just like being Jamaican and that, and I just know that from the culture of Jamaica, it seems like such a happy place and, not a place where, I mean, I've been there before and everybody seems very happy. And is that a cultural thing that you push your feelings down? So I think some of it is. Um, but in addition to that, it's almost like when you're in this state of, some may even call it survival, it's like you just got to figure out how to keep moving forward. So there are some cases where it's not normal to have honest conversations or talk about things like mental health but then there's the other side of okay what's more important you know creating spaces for this or getting the job done doing what needs to be done in order to kind of live i guess so i guess some of it was cultural um but a lot of it was also just habits that you know my parents saw growing up and um they just played and so it just kind of perpetuated from there and also like your parents would be younger than my mom's generation but i know that in my own family as well you know we didn't my mom we were we talked about our feelings but it wasn't you know my mom was attacked as a little girl she was grabbed off of a bike and uh, somebody from a mental institution had tried to strangle her when she was in oh, wow. second grade yeah so she's always had these deep deep like fears and like she's scared that something's going to happen kind of like came over to me that i'm paranoid a little bit about things too but she at that point at that time her parents you know nobody went to therapy people didn't send their kids to talk to a therapist so she kind of has had to live with that for her whole life you know so i mm -hmm. think i think what's uh, that the fact that like our parents just that's it's not their fault they just didn't it was just what was accepted right it wasn't accepted to be like I need help I need to go talk to a therapist yeah and you know I didn't even have that realization until like later on in life and I guess that may sound funny to you because you how, how, I'm young, like, right? so <laughs> my so my audience knows Abraham how old are you I'm 25 
okay, my niece yeah. is your age. That makes yeah. me feel really, really, <laughs> really, really old. But yeah. you are, you're an old soul. Have you been told that before? I've been told that before. So yeah. I, I will accept it if, if you think that. I just um, know, like not to interrupt, but just from knowing you for the time that I've known you, I, I want people to watch out because you're going to be like president or something crazy one day. And I'm going to be like, hi, Abraham, this is your old yeah. friend, Megan. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm your biggest um, fan. But go on. So yeah. I don't mean to kind of make light of this, but a lot of times, you know, I do like to make light and not have like break up these podcasts so it's not just all serious yeah. and i think people should know that too because we both suffer have suffered from depression and anxiety and um but we can still be funny and fun people right and and yeah. and i love that's why it's so important to me that people know that listening to my podcast that it's not just serious and we talk about these horrible things that we are telling these stories and also sharing our true and real selves and the and the selves that both of us are are people that like to ha have fun too right yeah yeah and that's i think that's important too because you know with people who are living with mental illness i think the perception or perspective is that if you are living with mental illness then your life is like you know, going down a downward spiral, but it is possible to live with a mental illness and still experience joy, happiness, peace, right? Um, and and that does not have to be, you know, and you, like like how you're saying, it's whether it's like a negative view on life or, you know, things are down and depressing. Um, we also have the, those types of moments as well. And I think it's important to recognize that and share that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to sidetrack um, the your story, but I just mm -hmm. wanted to start out because I we've talked to each other a few times, and um, I know from you telling me stories about yourself that you were always the life of the party, and you know, mm -hmm. like to have fun. I'm like that too, and um, and I just think it's important that people know that even if people do struggle, that it doesn't mean we're we're not fun anymore, and we don't like to have fun. So why don't you tell me about a little bit more about your family and then like going to college and we'll go from there. Yeah. So um, kind of growing up, I am currently, I'm the second oldest out of seven siblings. So talk about pressure, right? So. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. <clears throat> so um, growing up, there was always kind of, and it may have been self-imposed, but there was always this pressure that I felt to perform at a high level, be an example for my younger siblings, be the first to do certain things and do it to perfection. Like that's, and that's one thing that I still struggle with to this day. I, I consider myself a perfectionist. And, and it's just like kind of how my brain works when I approach something, I want excellence. I want it to be, you know, the best, but that can be like a gift and a curse. So like kind of growing up with that mindset and that mentality, it was a challenge. Um, so kind of fast forward growing up and deciding to go off to college. I was super excited about college. Uh, I share this story, you know, when I do, whether it's speaking engagements or whatever, I knew exactly what I wanted to study. It was going to be information technology. I knew exactly what kind of job I was going to have. I knew how much money I was going to make. I had the plan all figured out. Like no one could tell me otherwise. I was clearly focused on one goal, and that was to graduate, make a whole lot of money, and help my family financially. No one told me to consider the fact that I could possibly be depressed or struggle with my mental health or have to balance all of the things that I was doing or manage stress. And so what happened early on in my college career was I was working about 35 hours a week as a college freshman. I had a full course load of classes. I had my own apartment at the time. So that meant I had to pay my own bills. 
you know, coming fresh out of high school, not having to pay anything but maybe my cell phone bill. And now I was responsible for my rent, electricity, making sure that I could eat. So I had to get my own groceries. And so there was a lot of pressure very early on as I'm transitioning from living at home, being in high school to now being a college freshman. On top I'm of assuming, that, sorry to interrupt, no, you're that good. that means that you also had to have a job. So you were in college having to take the classes. You, you're, you sound like you're pretty smart <laughs> that that was your major. My major was drama. Um, but well, I got to say, I switched it up really quickly. After okay, okay, okay. That makes me class. feel better. But... <laughs> What, yeah. what, what kind of job did you have to be able to support yourself? Because that's really impressive that you were able to do that. So I was working uh, at a bookstore right off campus, and I was working at, a, at the school's gym as a, a fitness uh, monitor. So I had two jobs. So kind of bouncing between those in order to make enough money to provide for myself. I yeah. want people to really hear that because... I think, um, me personally, I never, I was given a college degree. I never really had to work. And I honestly, like, sometimes I wish I could go backwards and re-get re my degree because I didn't, I didn't appreciate it. So I'm always really blown away by people that are like, listen, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to have two jobs, which... I mean, one job's hard enough when you're that age. So you yeah. have two jobs, and then on top of it, be in college full-time and paying all your bills. That just it was tough. is amazing. Yeah. yeah, but that makes sense that why you were putting so much pressure on yourself that you would eventually, you know, probably crumble a little bit, right? Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. I started to get super stressed just trying to balance everything so on top of having two jobs, being a full-time student, I was also trying to have the college experience that, you know, that I saw on TV, you know, going to parties, you know, meeting new people, being involved in student organizations. I was trying to do all of it. And I had no idea that stress would have affected any of that. So I, at the time I wasn't sleeping a whole lot. Um, it was pretty much just wake up, go to work, go to class, go back to work, go to class, and then go home. And that was like my routine. And I remember I ended up getting my grades. It was like midterms or getting close to the end of the semester. And I got my grades back and I was really close to being on academic probation because I was failing some classes. And that's when realization kind of like, you know, it hit. And I was like, yo, did I come all the way to Pensacola to work and fail? And I was like, no, this can't be. I could have gotten a job back home, right? I could have made other decisions. And now I'm literally here failing my classes and not doing what I expected to do. So now there are all these negative thoughts coming in and these negative feelings about myself, like I'm a failure. Um, what can I show for my younger siblings? How can I talk to my parents about the fact that I'm not doing well in class? You know, all these different thoughts. And that turned into a downward spiral. Like I started to have one negative thought and it brought its uncle, its auntie, its friends. And so one thought turned into like five thoughts. And now I'm battling these thoughts throughout the day to the point where it's now time to go to sleep and I can't sleep because I'm having these negative thoughts just going uncontrollably, right? So, so you so you basically still had the two jobs. You still were in school. Oh, yeah. Then you had the stress on top of that of being like, oh, my God, I'm failing my classes. I'm going to let – like the pressure that you had on yourself that you were putting on yourself is just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Um thinking, oh, I'm, oh no, I'm going to fail. I'm, I'm a failure. And mm -hmm. then the lack of sleep. I know that I have struggled with sleep issues and it, that's a major thing because that's how you can get to a point where you have become delusional and 
you know, you can start having major, major issues. Sleep is so important and it's so hard when you can't, you want so badly to sleep, right? And there's nothing yeah. you can do to sleep. Yeah. So long story short, I was experiencing all of that and it led to me not really having the physical energy to even get out of bed anymore. And so I would, you know, call my bosses and email my professors and say, hey, I'm sick. Uh, I can't come to class. I can't go to work. That went on for a few weeks. And I remember one weekend I was home and at this point, my safe zone, my comfort zone is locked up in the bedroom of my apartment with the blinds closed, no matter you know what the weather is like outside. I just that was just where I felt safe or comfortable. And I had a really good friend of mine. She she called me one weekend. And prior to that, she was sending me text messages, phone calls, looking for me on campus and couldn't get me. I was just kind of running away from talking with her because I just didn't feel like myself. And we got on the phone and I tried to fake it. I put on this really upbeat tone like, hey, you know, what's going on? And she said, yo, Abe, she called me Abe. She said, yo, Abe, I haven't seen you on campus. You haven't been at church. You've been ignoring my phone calls, my text messages. You good? I was like, yeah, I'm good. Of course I'm good. I knew I wasn't good. But I also didn't know what the heck was going on. Like, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I didn't have any motivation. Like, this was weird. This was all new for me. And she said, are you sure? Because it's not like you to just, you know, kind of disappear from everything that's going on. And I said, yes, I'm good. And so at this point, I'm starting to kind of like defend myself because I feel like she's attacking my character. Like, I've always known myself to be this motivated guy you know, high energy, the life of the party. And now she is questioning that. So I kind of get a little defensive and she gets silent on the phone. And then she says, I'm not getting off of the phone until you tell me what's really going on. What a good friend. Man, when she said that, my heart started to race. <laughs> I was so nervous. I was terrified because I'm like, dang, I was trying to hide all of what I was really feeling. And she can see through all of that BS, right? And so I'm like, ah. <laughs> and she, she had to really beat it out of me because in the beginning, I'm, you know, I still tried to dance around the conversation. And she's like, I will show up at your apartment if you don't tell me what's going on with you. So like, I'm like, okay, I got to say something because I, I don't want her to see me like this. Please tell me you're still friends with this person. Yeah, she's one of my best friends. Oh, I love it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So She sounds like an amazing girl. She is. She's really upfront, really honest. You can't lie to her. <laughs> she, she sees through everything, and, and she, she's willing to call it out. Um, and that's what I appreciate, pre appreciate about her. Like, even though it's hard to be friends with her because of that reason, I appreciate it because she's always checking in. But... She said that, and that moment I had to open up. So I was like, okay, I can't keep dancing around what's really going on. So I told her everything. I told her how I wasn't eating anymore because I just didn't have an appetite. I told her how I didn't have motivation to get out of bed. I wasn't going to classes. I wasn't going to work. I told her how like, I'm having these negative racing thoughts and I can't even sleep. And so she says, it sounds like you're depressed. And when she said that, I felt like, again, she was attacking who I was, like depressed. What do you mean depressed? I'm not weak. I'm not, you know, what? Depressed? And she says, like, no, everything that you just described, it sounds like depression. And if you're depressed, they have a counseling center on campus. You can meet with a counselor. They can help you. I mean, you're already paying for it, you know, with your tuition and fees and stuff. So just take advantage of the services. I said, I'm not depressed, whatever. We hung up the phone and about two weeks went by. Megan, and when I tell you, I was suffering, like at this point. Well, how were you suffering? How were you, when you say you were having these thoughts? Yeah. I, I, we, you and I have talked about this. So were, your were you suicidal? 
at this point, not suicidal. A part of my story is that I was having suicidal thoughts, but at this point it wasn't suicidal, but it was no sleep at all. Yeah. So, and like you mentioned, when you're not having sleep and your body's not getting that rest, you start to become delusional. You start to have, you can't finish sentences. You can't remember names. Like these were all of the things that was happening to me. And so I was freaking out. And on top of that, I was utilizing different vices to help myself. So, so at this what point, were you doing? Drinking. I was drinking. Uh, so if anyone, any listener knows anything about Jamaican Appleton rum, that was my best friend, that and red wine. And I was drinking it straight from the bottle. And the reason was because I was trying to slow my thoughts down so that I can sleep. Because I'm, I'm like going crazy at this point. I'm like, I can't sleep. And so I can't function throughout the day. Let me numb myself to sleep. I started smoking. I was trying everything that I could possibly try. I was trying to pray depression away. And when I say that I was suffering, it's because I was using a ton of vices that not only were not working, but they were making everything worse. You know what's interesting about what you said? a few minutes ago was you said, I'm not weak. I'm mm -hmm. not weak. And it just, I, I, I had another guy on my podcast, gentleman, young, young guy, um, on my last podcast, Lucky. And he talked about the similar thing, the stigma of being male. And if you admit that you're suffering or that you have depression, well, you're somehow weak. Mm -hmm. um, and so it breaks my heart when you say that because I always knew that I was, if I needed help, I could just ask for help. And that I didn't, yeah, I didn't consider myself weak for that. I mean, I had gone through a lot of trauma, which you know about in my life. So I really, I needed help and I, and I never thought, oh, I'm weak because I needed help. So on top of everything else that you're going through when you have depression and those thoughts and the lack of sleep and then just turning to all the vices that you did, that there's a tremendous amount of pain when you say, I'm weak. Not only are you depressed, but you're also like, I'm weak. There's some, yeah, I'm ashamed. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you, then you turn to all the, all the things that you did. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, and, and I hear you share that that wasn't a barrier for me, but as I hear that, I'm like, that didn't make sense for me. It's like, in my mind, what made me weak was the fact that I couldn't figure it out myself, that I couldn't get over it by working harder or trying as much as I could to get over it. So that made me a weak person. That made me want to kind of isolate and withdraw from others because if I can't handle this, then what good am I, you know? And so that, so like you said, like, you know, that brought a lot of shame to it. I felt guilty. Um, there was a lot of emotions going on at that point. But long story short, my amazing friend encouraged me to get the help. And about two weeks went by after that initial conversation. And me just saying, you know, I can figure this out, trying all these different things, these different vices, but then getting to a point where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was like, yo, there's no way that I can continue like this. Something crazy is gonna happen, right? So I said, let's go check out the counseling center, see what, what happens, you know, what's the worst that can happen? If they can help me, then great. If they can't, I'm, you know, I'm going to stay in the same spot. So I ended up going to the counseling center and was able to get that help. I sat down with a psychiatrist and later with a therapist. Um, I was prescribed medication for depression and I was on antidepressants for a while. Um, that in addition to, to doing talk therapy and that started like my recovery and like treatment journey. What was that like getting your diagnosis? What was, what was it like being told? Were you relieved when they tell, what was your actual diagnosis? I was hurt, sad, and also relieved. 
So it was a mixture of those. Um, I was, cert I was uh, sad and hurt because I couldn't understand how I had gotten to this point. You know, I was blaming myself, like, how did I allow myself to get here? How did I even get here? I couldn't really, like, identify what got me here. But then I had so much relief because now there was a name for what I was experiencing. So, uh, and the one thing that my psychiatrist uh, reassured me of is that, hey, you're here now, but we can do some things. You know, we can make some adjustments that can allow you to feel better. So that was a relief because prior to that, I thought I was going crazy. I thought I was losing my mind and I had to now accept this new reality, which was insane for me. You know? Yeah. Did they, did they give you an actual diagnosis or was it just you're depressed? Yeah, it was major depressive disorder. So major depressive. Disorder. Okay. Okay. And what, I mean, I've told, I've talked about this very openly. I, uh, I also am on medication. It's not, I've made, I possibly won't be on it forever, but I'm in a good place now and I'm happy on the dose that I'm on of Zoloft. What, or what did they put you on? It was Zoloft as well. Okay. Um, but that, panic that, attacks, right? Because you were having, were you having panic attacks? No, that was for the depressive symptoms. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So mine is, is mainly for my panic attacks and also yeah. like obviously some depression, but um, I, I'm a big fan of Zoloft. So shout out Zoloft. Yeah. So, and, and I'm glad you went there because early on i was really opposed to medication mm -hmm. like super opposed to it because not only um was i raised by two jamaican parents who don't take medication for nothing <laughs> we got yeah. teas for everything <laughs> we got teas and prayers right um so just the idea of taking medication for something that i couldn't see or couldn't necessarily feel physically was just absurd Right. But at the time, I was so desperate that I was willing to try anything. So I tried the medication, even with the being skeptical about it. And I did it on the down low. I didn't tell anybody I was on medication. But um, even your mom and dad, even my mom, what? Yeah. it was the biggest <laughs> secret. Like, yeah. I didn't tell anyone. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I would hide and take it. And, you know, this is, you know, this whole situation. But with the medication and the fear and, you know, just the challenge of being on medication, uh, I decided to come off cold turkey. So I was on the medication for a few months and that in and of itself was a whole, you know, up, down roller coaster ride because as soon as I would try, you know, the prescribed dosage, about five days to a week, I would experience those symptoms of depression again. So they would keep coming back. So then we would go up in the dosage and same situation, we would go up. And it got to a point where we couldn't really find what worked for me. And so at this point, my psychiatrist was saying, hey, let's add an additional medication as a booster to help to kind of like, I guess, jumpstart what I was on, you know, the Zoloft, right? So I already have this fear and I already have this, you know, opposition towards taking medication. And I'm sitting in front of my psychiatrist and she's going on and on about, hey, you know, this happens, right? There's a challenge to find the right dosage, what works. So, you know, don't be alarmed that this is a part of the process. And she's going on, she's saying, hey, we're gonna add this medication as a booster. And in my mind, I'm already making a decision that I'm done. Like, I'm not taking this anymore. She can give me whatever advice or recommendations. I'm done. Once I get home, I'm throwing it out. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. And it was probably one of the worst decisions I could have ever made because my brain had become adjusted to taking this medication for the time that I was on it. So when I came off of it without talking to my psychiatrist or any doctors, it's like everything was kind of going all over the place. I started to have. And you didn't the, wean yourself off of it either. No, I'm assuming. Yeah. No, that's part no. of the Part of the issue. Yeah. yeah. I just came off and I stopped taking it. And, um, 
I experienced some symptoms that, you know, were tough physical symptoms. I would have like these shocking sensations in my body. I would have not just the racing thoughts, but I would feel cold. Um, I would, you know, it was almost like, you know, coming off of a drug and like having that physical reaction. Um, and that also came with the suicidal thoughts. So that's when I started to really consider death mm -hmm. and what would it be like to no longer be here. Um, Which is so, so scary. Cause I, yeah. Too. And then it's almost like you can't control it. No, so, no, yeah. it just like creeps up. It creeps up on you and you're like, why am I, why am I thinking this? Like get out of my head and it becomes, yeah, yeah I've been there. I understand. Yeah, it was tough. And so, and, and all this is going on and I'm still at college, still have the responsibilities that I have still away from home. And I got scared uh, because Megan, like I was driving distance. It was about 10 hours away from home. So I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to do something that I would regret, you know, end up taking my own life, doing something and leave my family in, you know, this pain. And so I was really terrified because I couldn't control the thoughts and I didn't know what I was capable of at that moment. So I had to, I made a decision to leave. So I ended up packing, you know, my bags and I went back to Miami and, um, I was on a medical withdrawal for about three months away from school and really focusing on how can I get better mentally. And in the beginning, I thought, well, I tried the whole college thing. It didn't work out. I gave it everything that I had and whatever, we got to move forward. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, I got to finish this because I started this and this is something that I believe is important, I want to do, so how can I get to a position to where I can go back and finish? So I decided to take a holistic approach to, you know, getting better and never went back on the medication, but I changed my, my entire diet. I changed my routines and rituals. Um, I started exercising and working out for my mental health. I tried different supplements and vitamins. I literally like changed my entire life. I started doing research and trying to figure out how do you like overcome depression, especially if you don't want to be on medication. Is that even possible? And I did that for about three months while being home, you know, with family. And I got to a point where I was well enough to go back to school. And so decided to go back to school, drove my car back to uh, Pensacola enrolled in classes and and finished out and so but, you finished you finished all four years got your degree never went back on medication took the holistic approach can you talk about i mean i know exercise for me is huge if i don't exercise i it's it's way 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 worse so it exercise is so important but i'm always I'm always interested in what your actual, like, what does your diet entail? What are kind of the things that you've done so you haven't had to go on medication? Yeah, so exercise is huge for me. That's one thing that I do, and I work out anywhere between four to five times a week. And on the weekends, I'm either walking or doing some sort of physical activity, just because it does something for the chemicals in my brain. They like that when I work out. So if they like it, I'm going to keep giving them what they like. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's a big one. Water, uh, water intake. I try to at least get through a gallon of water uh, a day. And that's also because I'm pretty active throughout the day. Um, meditation is something that I've adopted and I meditate daily. Uh, I journal daily. When it comes to diet, as much as I'm able to, I try to limit sugars. And in the very beginning, of trying to kind of, I guess, bounce back from depression and, you know, being in that state, I was super strict, like no sugars, no carbs, like meat, greens, and supplements and vitamins. So, so did you stop drinking alcohol? Yeah, completely. So you're sober, you don't drink at all? Now I do. 
Yeah. So, so now you so you've incorporated yeah. it back in because I because I know alcohol. I've talked about this. It's a crutch for me. And when you talked about your drinking of the rum, which by the way sounds really yummy, um, uh, I I like a buttery chardonnay. I think I told you this. Yeah. We're like, what's yeah. a buttery chardonnay? And then we had to go into the whole conversation. But I I same thing. Like when I was going through points where I couldn't sleep or whatever, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to drink. But then your body wakes up because your liver has a hard time processing that, the alcohol. So then you're going to be up at like three in the morning. Yeah. So, um, so, so, it, so tell me more about that. Yeah. So with me now, I drink occasionally. So I would say in a month, I'll probably go out with my wife maybe once or twice and we'll have a couple of either beers or margaritas, right? Nothing, nothing, I guess, too consistent or extreme whenever we do. But one thing that I did recognize, and that's why I started to kind of like come off of drinking and, and be more mindful about it, is I would only drink during certain, I guess, periods or experiences. So I found that whenever I was stressed, I wanted to drink. Whenever I was, whenever I felt like, whether it was lonely or kind of confused or um, bored, like I would drink. And so it was kind of like going through and assessing why am I drinking and where is this desire coming from? And when I realized that I was using it as sort of like like a crutch or you know to to kind of not address certain things that's when i was like okay that's the problem i want to drink when it's just for fun like i want to drink like because i made a decision to go out and just drink i don't want to drink when i'm stressed or feeling depressed or feeling alone because that's when it kind of turns into a cycle at least for me so that's when i kind of you know decided okay let's limit the drinking, at least for this period, until I find, I guess, my baseline. And then from that, I can incorporate drinking in areas where it's not a need or this strong desire, but it's just, hey, I feel like drinking tonight. You want to go out, you know? And so, so I wasn't like depending on it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it didn't turn into a, an addiction. And, and it's a slippery slope when you have an addictive personality, right? To not yeah. lean on yeah. sugar and alcohol. And, you know, for me, I like to shop or, you know, everybody has their own thing. Um, let's talk about once you got to a point where you were like, you know, considered yourself in a good place mentally. Mm -hmm. um, graduated from college, which wasn't actually probably that long ago. 2019. Then, 2019. Oh my God. Whatever. <laughs> I graduated in like 1908. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then you, you, you are married. So you're married pretty young. Tell me about, yeah. I've heard, and I've heard, I've been on club. Got a COVID wedding too. Oh, you did. So you just, so you're newlywed. Yeah. So tell me about, not to skip ahead, but you were in a good, good, healthy place mentally, graduated from college. Then you decide, what did you end up graduating? What was your major? Psychology. I got a bachelor's in psychology. Okay. See, I love that. So you're turning your, your pain and your weakness, quote unquote, which is not a weakness, which we both know, into yep. helping others, right? Yeah. And then you met, you met your wife. You're now like this guru. You wrote a book. Um, tell me about, tell me a little bit about your wife and like where you are now. Yeah, so we're actually a year married on May 17th. Um, we had a pretty epic wedding. We had people from Colombia, Spain, Venezuela, Jamaica, New York, uh, all sorts of people from all different places who all got together on Zoom. It was pretty You had legit. a Zoom wedding. Yeah, yeah. I love it. It was it was pretty legit. Uh, everyone was all dressed up. They had their wine, their drinks, their cakes. 
Um, we had some people who actually made, you know, cakes for the wedding, which was pretty cool. Um, but so my wife and I, we actually met in college and we were going to school around the same time. When I came back from my medical withdrawal from school, that's when she got enrolled in school. So she was a freshman when I came back. Now, we were studying the same uh, major, you know, we had the same major at the time. And we were pretty much in the same types of classes, had the same circle of friends, but never met at all. Went to the same gym, uh, the same parties, the same events, but we never met until our junior year uh, of college. And it was, it was interesting how we met. Uh, it was in a psychology class. And I don't know if you remember, but we would, you know, when, whenever you go to class and you kind of introduce yourself, sometimes the professor is like, turn around, meet somebody and exchange numbers or email addresses just in case you ever miss class, you can catch up with someone. So that was how we met. So she was sitting right in front of me. She turned around. She's super, like, just a happy person in, <laughs> in general, super bubbly. And she's like, hey, my name is Fanny. Um, can I oh my God, I love her name, by the way. It's <laughs> yeah. so cute. And I've heard yeah. her talk. She, you're, she's so cute. Go on. Yeah. She's super bubbly. And she turns around. She's like, uh, I'm Fanny. You know, I'm from Venezuela. Can I give you my email? And I'm like, of course. And there's this running joke because when she turned around and said that, I, I said, I'm Abraham and I'm from Puerto Rico. And I said it in like a, in an accent just to be funny. And she's like, really? And she starts to speak Spanish. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't speak Spanish. Um, but that's how we met. And then from there, we became really good friends and study partners in the beginning, and then really good friends, and then best friends. And then it was almost like, hey, this person is amazing. I want to you know, be in a relationship with this person. We started dating and then got engaged. And then uh, May 17th of last year is when we got married, so. I, I love hearing these stories. Yeah. So I believe people are meant to be. I love hearing that, right? So let me talk to you really briefly about your faith, because I know that you're a person of faith like I am, and you believe in being spiritual. Everybody has their own religion or their own spirituality i believe uh, for me personally i am more spiritual than anything else i know god's always with me i talk about it a lot what what how what does that look like for you yeah so i gotta start with like the origin of it so i grew up in a christian household where my dad was a pastor growing up so oh, wow we were... no wonder the pressure no wonder you no know, right oh yeah. My yeah 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 it was like you know, and also every church service, we were there. <laughs> we were there. Um, Wednesday night Bible study, Friday night service. Uh, we observed the Sabbath, so on Saturday, so we would be in church every Saturday. Uh, so it was, it was that kind of household. So I knew all 66 books of the Bible by the time I could really speak. <laughs> I could memorize different scriptures. So just to give you some context, so that's where the foundation was really built. But a really important part of that was that early on, I understood the importance of developing a relationship with God, which is what I think so many people kind of forget as they are you know, growing in their spirituality and following different religions. It's so much about relationship, right? But that's one thing that I was exposed to early on. And so that's what I carried up until this point. So I'm really big on whether it's spirituality. Um, I do follow religious practices and I, I live my life pretty much in service to God. Like I wake up and I'm like, yo, God, what you need me to do today? Like literally it's like that. The way I even got into what I'm doing today as a mental health speaker, an author, a mental health advocate was out of obedience to what I believe God was telling me he wanted me to do. And um, so in terms of faith, it plays a huge role in my life and how I make decisions and the things that I'm involved in. And I also understand the importance of 
talking about mental health in those communities because I don't think we have those conversations as often as we should or could. And a lot of whether it is religious people or people who are spiritual don't grasp the fact that mental illness also plays a role and that's okay. For a very long time, I thought God was punishing me and that's what depression was. For a while, I thought that I wasn't you know, faithful enough. I wasn't close to God enough, which is why I was depressed and why I couldn't pray depression away. And so a big part of what I do as well is I go into churches and right now it's more virtual, uh, but I go into churches and just talk about my story and provide biblical principles and stories that help to lay the foundation for having these conversations about mental health, even in the church, because I think that's important as well. Um, but yeah, I would consider myself, you know, very spiritual um, and I have a, a solid relationship with my creator and it, it gets me excited. So Yeah, I think that's great. And I also love the fact that you are so open with talking about your mental health journey and you're, it's so needed what you're doing, especially in young black men, right? Because it's not, that has got, I don't, I know that that is something that you're doing that's a hundred percent needed, right? Mm -hmm. Do you want to yeah. tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so you're, you're on it for sure. Like, I don't see many people that look like me who also talk about their struggles with their mental health. And that makes it really difficult to identify with the symptoms when you're experiencing it. I remember one of the barriers that held me back early on was that I thought, and this is to be completely honest, I thought only white people dealt with mental health challenges. I thought that, you know, only weak people got depressed. And when we talk about even suicide and suicidal thoughts, the media, you know, that you don't see many black people who, who battle with suicidal thoughts or even complete suicide. And so as I'm having these different experiences and symptoms, I couldn't identify with it. I'm like, that, that can't be right because I'm a black man. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I learned as well is that mental illness, depression, anxiety, it doesn't discriminate, right? Like we probably discriminate as human beings, but mental illnesses, physical illnesses, those things don't discriminate. And once I was able to register that, then I'm able to say, oh, so if I'm having these symptoms, then this means that I'm battling with a mental illness. And if I am battling with a mental illness, that means I can get help for it. So that's one thing that I try to do as well is go back into these communities. Like even my community growing up in elementary school, middle and high, I never heard anyone that looked like me talk about mental health challenges. So it's really about going back into these communities and being the face to say, hey, this is a part of our experience, you know, and to even talk about, you know, some of the, the, situations and issues going on right now in the world a hundred percent yo it's like whoa well, what's so. interesting about what you you're saying right now is i just wish people and i love that you're so open with this is would just talk to each other like different like white black hispanic learn about our differences and be real stop Stop pushing everything down and pretending like it's not there. When you talk about that, I kind of, I mean, I hate to bring this up, but I'm not, I don't hate to bring it up because we're in a very, uh, like, horrible time in our country. Like, I, yeah. I really believe that. Yeah. And I'm sure you do too. And today we're waiting on the verdict of the George Floyd, you know, trial. And what I think about is, and I don't know if you agree with me, but he was uh, he was on drugs and he might have had some major mental health issues mm -hmm. so what do you think about that like i just wonder like do people turn to 
drugs and because they feel like they can't get away, like a, a break, you know, and maybe if there were more people like you in your community that were saying, this is okay, we can talk about this. We can talk about, you know, struggling with mental health. We can help each other. We don't have to pretend like this doesn't exist. Maybe we wouldn't have so, so many people leaning on, you know, drugs. And then not to mention the fact that this is my personal opinion is that that, that policeman needs to spend his life in prison. But um, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think anyone can relate to wanting to numb, you know, these feelings, the pain and, and challenging emotions. It's hard to have honest conversation, at least for, I can't say for every, for everyone, because I've met some people and they're like, oh yeah, it's easy for me to just talk about, you know, my traumas and, and situations and challenges. But for, for a lot of people, it's hard to have that. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that it's hard, but that doesn't mean we should run from it. Mm -hmm. You know, we should create spaces and have relationships to where we can have those conversations because that's an outlet just like drinking, just like smoking, just like running to any other outlet. I think a lot of times what happens is we kind of just recreate what we see. And so in, in my own community, it was common to know people and to be close with people who were smoking weed every day. That's just what we do, drinking every day. Every day was a party. Um, when we are having, you know, challenging experiences, you know, we drink and we, we laugh. We do the different things like that. And so if you see that long enough, then that becomes the antidote for what you're experiencing. You don't consider that there can be another way. You don't consider that maybe medication can be an option. You don't consider that maybe talking with a clinician, a licensed mental health professional could be an option. And so a lot of what I see in my community in the black and brown community is that therapy isn't an option. You know, and it's not, yeah, it's not like they high. don't have the ability to be like, I need help. I need to talk to somebody because, but yet maybe they don't, they don't have insurance and they don't have that at their fingertips. Yeah. Yeah. So There's then it's so many barriers. So many barriers. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think a large part of that as well is that that's not what we see and that's not what we hear. Um, when I talk to white friends and friends of other, you know, communities, it's very common to talk about going to see my therapist and taking my anxiety pills or my depression pills and to have those conversations in black and brown communities. It's almost like, Whoa, you don't say that. Like, no, you keep that to yourself. There's this common, I guess, phrase that what happens in this house stays in this house. And basically what that means is if you're going through something that stays within your close knit group, your family, right? That doesn't go outside. And when someone like me who comes from that same community comes out and says, hey, in addition to trying to smoke it, drink it, you know, all these other things that you can do, there's also therapy, right? And if there are financial challenges, there are also resources that exist, whether it's utilizing community resources, uh, sliding scales that therapists may offer, different alternatives to getting the help, whether it's group therapy, different support groups. There are other things that exist um, in addition to what you may have seen that is probably not working and getting to the root of the problem that you can also try. So that's what I try to do um, when I do go out and speak and even have conversations with friends, growing up with friends, and I hear, I can hear, you know, that they're depressed. I can hear that they're struggling. And I'll just talk about, you know, the fact that I have a therapist and I speak with my therapist just to kind of have, make it a common conversation instead of a conversation that is 
one that you're not supposed to have. Yeah, we're not we're not supposed to be weak. Like yeah. you said, we're not supposed to talk about stuff. So it's interesting that your book is called Unlearn the Lies and your podcast. And you know what? I mean, I think you're unbelievable. I could talk to you for like three hours. Maybe we could start like a three hour long podcast and co-mod a group on Clubhouse because I just think you're an incredible person. I love talking to you. I, I'm serious when I tell you, I'm just going to, I'm going to basically follow you and I know you're going to do the most amazing things in life. And I'm pr- very, very proud to know you. So I'll say that. Thanks, Megan. And in closing, keep living, keep praying, and keep growing. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.